Acts 18, um, we see Paul continuing on his missionary journeys. One of the reasons I wanted to study Acts together as a church and journey together is it's all about the church being built. It's all about what it means to be God's people on mission in a time where it's unprecedented. They're trying to figure it out, and that's, that's where we're at. Um, and so I feel like there's so much for us to glean today. So uh, I'm going to be in chapter 18. Um, I'm just going to dive into... <coughs> Verses five and six. When Paul, or when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So what we see Paul doing here is hopping into uh, what was um, common nature as he went to a new town. He'd go to the synagogues, preach about the good news of Jesus, preach about how Jesus was the Messiah, the one that the, God had promised long ago to come save the Jews, come save all people. Um, and so we just see Paul going about his business, doing what he always did. Okay? But when they opposed Paul, so the people that he's preaching to, the Jews, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, a couple notes from this. Paul is doing exactly what God asked him to do. Paul is doing exactly what God has asked us to do. We talked about it in Acts chapter 1, that the command on Jesus' followers was go and be my witnesses. Go and be my witnesses, meaning go and be the people that share with other people the good news of God's kingdom, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he said he is, and that he's done what he said he would do. Go and testify that. Go and share that with other people. Paul is doing exactly that. He's making disciples. And I just, I mean, we t- this is the whole theme of the morning, but how disheartening to be doing the exact right thing and still have opposition. To be doing exactly like he's so in with what God asked him to do of preaching, testifying, witnessing that Jesus is the Messiah. And to undergo what, what's described here in 18 as abuse, when they became abusive. We talked for a brief moment in Acts chapter 7 about Stephen's martyrdom um, and how like we can do all, have all the right inputs and the output can still be really miserable. Like Stephen uh, was following God. He was being a witness. He was helping the church. And the result of his life wasn't this Disney-esque story, uh, but it, instead it was his death. He was stoned to death uh, for testifying about the good news of Jesus. Jesus promised, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think every single person in this room uh, who, who is attempting to be faithful to the way of Jesus, faithful to God's commands, can, can uh, resonate with what Paul, Silas, Timothy, uh, what the crew is experiencing here. That you're like, I'm doing the stuff that God asked me to do. Like, I'm being kind to my neighbors. I'm, I'm going out of my way to share God's love with them. I'm, I'm sharing God's good news with them. I'm doing the right things, and it doesn't feel like we're seeing the work move forward. It doesn't seem like we're, seem like we're experiencing the blessings of God. We try our best to make disciples, to be faithful, to follow God, and it just feels like there is opposition in our way. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but uh, sometimes we can leave ourselves feeling like we're, we're a punching bag for the world. That like, oh, look at the stupid Jesus followers that, that, that don't know any better and they're so simple-minded. And you're like, this is exhausting, God. 
This is exhausting that I'm, I'm trying to be faithful, but I don't see any progress. So what do we do in the midst of the shared human experience if one of the things we believe as Jesus followers is that God is present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, what is our response? Let's look at Paul's response, okay? <clears throat> How does God intervene on our behalf? Let's jump to verse, <clears throat> let's jump to verse 9, okay? One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. So Paul is being abused, uh, even in the context of doing the right thing, and the Lord comes to him and says this, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So God's uh, intervention into this situation is not a literal hedge of protection. God's intervention into this situation isn't to smite all of the people who are being abusive. God's intervention into Paul's situation is a promise. And it's a, it's a precise promise, but it's also kind of a broad promise. It's a precise promise because it says, keep doing what you're doing. I am with you. No harm's going to come to you. So it's precise in the sense that like no harm's going to come to you. So I know I will be okay. But at the same time, it's a broad promise because it doesn't say like, you're never going to be in dicey situations or you're never going to have to undergo uh, things that are difficult. It still leaves the, the, the room open for things to be hard, but God uh, over everything promises that I will be with you, for I am with you. No one's going to attack you. No one's going to harm you. So God's intervention to Paul's situation is a promise, a promise of stability, a promise of withness, uh, a promise of safety, now, I think for us this morning in our context, it would be misguided and it would be really bad hermeneutics, really bad Bible interpretation for us to take this promise that was made to Paul for a specific time, a specific place, and a specific situation and say, that promise is 100% all of the time true for me. Because very clearly, contextually, this promise is not being made to Jordan Chapel. I, is, uh, it, it, this, this would be a, a not great life first to us to go like, I think, I think generally it's true that God is with us, undoubtedly. But, but, but God intervenes and makes this promise to Paul, but that doesn't mean that we should uh, completely ignore it because I think it points towards something, that when we're experiencing difficulty, when we're experiencing hardship, when we're experiencing uh, opposition, when we're experiencing abuse, when we're experiencing all of this stuff, how do we, what is God's inter in interaction with those sort of things as we go about the mission of God? And I think one of the things that Paul points to uh, in this context is that one of the things we can engage with is leaning on God's promises when things are difficult. Because there are plenty of promises in Scripture. Well, this one might not be for us. Uh, there are plenty of promises for us as modern believers to claim and believe and trust in and live our lives by in Scripture. And I think there's a couple important things for us to remember here. That uh, for us to believe and to trust in these promises, we have to know these promises. Because there's a lot that God says about the things that we walk through as Jesus followers. 
There's a lot that God says where, where he goes, I want to speak into these particular situations that you are walking through. Uh, and it could give us so much hope. But if we don't know them, we can't, we can't encounter the hope. God's already promised us with these things. So I think it's important for us to, to carve out time, to spend time with God, that we can have encounters with God, be reminded of his promises. I think it's, I think it's important to, to know what God's promises are, to spend time with his, with his word, to spend time with our scriptures, to, to, to know and believe and understand. And this is the pathway in difficult situations. This is the pathway to boldness for us, to assuredness for us, for, to, to, to hope for us. To know God and to know his promises and to believe they're true. And Jordan talked about this a little bit. To believe that they're true and then to live like they're true. See, a life with Jesus is not just assent to a particular construct of beliefs. So often, and I do it from some of the words I say and the ways I act a lot of times too, but so often we sum up the Christian life, a life with God, to an ascent that you are doing life with God if you believe this particular set of beliefs. Now listen, a life with God is, is no less than, than right belief in who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, who, who, how he's interacting with us. It's not less than that, but it is far Far more than that. Scripture talks about, one of the things James talks about is like, yeah, there's other people who believe and aren't Jesus followers. Like the demons believe. So it's, it's not belief. So it's believing the promises of God, but then living like they're true. So knowing God's promises and living like they're true. Now here's what I, for, for those of us who might be earlier on in the journey, some of us in this room have walked with Jesus for our entire lives. And some of us in this room are really new to the whole Jesus thing. And we're trying to figure it out. And we're like, I, 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 it's my heart's desire to follow God, but I'm not really even sure where to start. And you talk about claiming the promises of God and trusting them and living like they're true. I don't even know what they are. And I don't even know like, you can't just flip to a page and there be a promise on there. That's not how the Bible works. And do you know what I tell people often if, if you're early on in your journey? You're just like, we, it's a secular thing, sure. But do you know what you can do if you're encountering a hard situation? Just Google it. Just Google it. It's like, okay, parenting is really, really hard right now. What, what does, or does God give any promises about parenting? Or, or, you know, my coworkers are just getting on my nerves and I want, I want to be a witness to them. I do, uh, but, but it's hard uh, because they're obnoxious. I just fully believe Jordan believes this about me often. Like my coworker is so difficult and I don't know what to do. Just Google, does God give any promises about my coworkers? And, and, and that could be a starting point for then you'll go, okay, let's dig into scripture and, and figure out uh, what it is. And then the second thing, I challenged some guys from our church to do this a few weeks ago and, and I do it often in my house is when, when the chapel family is trying to engage with particular promises from God, I will print them off and then put them everywhere in our home. Sometimes it's several scriptures, like a theme. One of the, one of the things I challenged the guys to do, we were talking about what God's heart was, and, um, and we were talking about how it's not like vengeful and wrathful, that his heart is actually loving and kind towards us, and he wants people to be drawn unto himself. And so I challenged the guys, and I, I did this, if you come to my house right now, you'll find a bunch of handwritten notes um, with scriptures talking about who God's heart is, what God's heart is. And they're hung up all over our house. 
We've done this often when we're like, we were, we were really struggling uh, financially and we're, there were some big needs and there were some like deficits where we're like, I don't know how these deficits are gonna be made up and, and, and I don't know what this looks like. And, and so we hung up uh, scriptures in our house. We hung up Matthew 6 everywhere that we could constantly remind ourselves like, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father still feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And as I laid eyes on it day after day and time after time, day after day, it began to rewire my brain a little bit. Be like, you know what? God really, he does love me. He's going to take care of me. And even if this particular need doesn't get met, uh, God's still given me everything that I need for life and for godliness. And, and I can trust in him. And it begins to rewire. So like, don't, just because you're like, I don't know what God's promises are, don't let that stop you from, from trusting in them because there's tools given to you. I get, one of the things I gave you today was a piece of paper that has by no means every promise of God. It is not exhaustive. It is just a first blush at it, okay? But there's some of them. There's some promises of God. And here's what you can do. Uh, in a little bit, we're gonna meditate on some of those. And then afterwards, I'm gonna invite us to like, if there's one that stood out to you, I'm just gonna invite us to share it in this space. And, and so just maybe take, take that home and figure out which one you're like, no, this is the one I'm choosing to meditate on in this season of my life. And, and just hang that up everywhere. I've, we've give, the, the tools exist is what I'm trying to say. So don't let that hold you back from trusting in the promises of God. <clears throat> and so what's Paul's response? God gives a, Paul encounters an abusive, a hard situation. He's doing what God asked him to do, and it's hard. And, and then God says, I got a promise for you. And then what's Paul's response? Verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul encounters God's promise and it gives him boldness to do what God has asked us to do. And as Jesus followers, we have a decision to make every single day. Am I going to believe that God is who he says he is? Am I going to believe that God will do what he says he will do? Am I going to believe that I am, am who he says I am? We, I've, I feel like we've talked about this in Acts so much, but Scripture says in no uncertain terms that life is going to be hard. It just is. We're still, God has redeemed us. He's drawn us back. He saved us. Uh, and the world still groans. Things will be hard. We're reminded in that, uh, of that as we look at the book of Acts. Things will be hard for Jesus' followers. But it's also clear in no uncertain terms that even in the midst of hard, we get to lean back and, and trust in God's promises. That God is who he says he is. That he will do what he says he will do. That he does not change. The, the, the theological word for this is God is immutable. God is immutable. Meaning he does not change. So we don't have to worry that he's going to wake up one morning as if God needs to sleep. He's going to wake up one morning and be like, oh, I made that promise uh, to the church in Corinth or I made that promise to the church in Rome and I don't know if I really feel that way anymore. Like, yes, I love people except this one person or, or like we don't have to constantly worry if God's going to change. He said what he said and we can, we can trust that it's sure and that it's true. God's immutable. He doesn't change. 
And so when he says something, he means it. So we're going to encounter difficult situations. This is a fact of life. God makes promises, and we can lean on those promises of hope and boldness and assuredness. <clears throat> so here's what I want us to do. Just like Jordan did, we're going to carve out some space, okay? Uh, draw a circle around you. Say, this is, um, so much of our life is this mixture. We're in this corporate space, and in this corporate space, I want us to, to focus on what God is saying to us as individuals right now. We're going to have both and. And I'm just going to read through. And so uh, some of the promises I'm going to read are on that sheet I gave you. Some aren't. They're not even necessarily in the same order. So don't feel like you don't go chasing them around. I'd rather you just like focus in on, uh, on what, we're, what we're doing. We're just going to meditate on these. So I'm just going to work through some of these. We probably don't have time to get through all of them. Um, but, but I want us to focus on these. And here's what I wanna, want us to do. Afterwards, we're going to take communion. But before we do that, uh, I would love some of us to share. Um, here's a promise. It can be from the sheet. It can be from one I read. It can be, I, I believe there's a lot of people in this room that know God's promises, probably better than I do. So it can be one that you've just stored in your heart already. Uh, but I want us to share, to edify and encourage one another of, of here's a promise that I'm trusting in during this season. So let's, let's, let's meditate on God's promises. He says to the church in Philippians and to us, and God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, hear this promise, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some promises are, are conditional. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed or made or shaped to the image of God's son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. No temptation has ever overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He says through the prophet Isaiah, you, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <coughs> so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He has an encounter with Moses in the book of Exodus. And he says this. <coughs> he passes in front of Moses saying, The Lord, the Lord, <clears throat> compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. <clears throat> Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write these down for these words are trustworthy and true. <clears throat> 